0: Mr. Cod. Episode 15 with your host Ryan and Paul. Yeah, Paul and Ryan.
1: Welcome back. We're sitting down with a very special guest. Yeah, we've got uh Daniel Patton. Daniel Patton is here uh to join us tonight and uh we're really, really happy that he can sit down with us. Uh Daniel, go ahead and tell everybody about
2: yourself. Hello everyone. Uh thank you first and foremost, Paul. Thank you so much for the invitation um to to join the COD tonight. Like this is awesome. Um Paul and I uh go way back uh to I guess the nineties, if you think about it. Uh, oh, shit. I'm not I'm not that old, Daniel. Time out, time out. Time out. <laughs> oh man. If I'm talking oh, about speak my, about it, it's the start of the journey, honestly. Um Paul and I were neighbors and we got to know each other while living on the same block. And uh, when I was thinking about this earlier, something uh, came up. I was thinking, Paul, your mom one time, one time over to a house for lunch. She made these fried green tomatoes. And I think (laughs) the the first time I've ever had that and I still think about it today. But um, anyway, uh, so yes, thank you for having me on the show. I um, I was born and raised outside Chicago. I went through the Chicago school system um, and did um, really a, a, at the high school level, I went to a college prep that really set me up for, um, I think, my, my current path that I'm going on now. Uh, so I went to Walter Payton College Prep, which in Chicago, there are these selective enrollment high schools that you have to apply to, you have to test to get in. And I was fortunate to to be admitted back then Um, and for me I really you know stayed on top of the academics but also involved myself a lot of extracurriculars I was class president and I think that really you know being involved in many different things getting to know a lot of different people I think it, it set me up well for college I went to University of Pennsylvania and when I was Initially entering school, I thought that I wanted to go into politics. Um, that was like, you know, for my class president days, I was also this thing called youth mayor of Chicago. I, I thought that was going to be like the driving force when I, when I got to my college campus. Um, but it was 2006 and um, the banks were doing extremely well at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, the Wharton schools were a lot of uh big banks recruit um talent and i even though i had interest in politics i've always had this dual interest in business and i i thought like hey you know why not give it a shot let me try to uh, get an internship um in the finance role and 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 see what happens and so um as a history major i applied to um, internships in finance and i was successful um, I interned at UBS after my junior year of college and investment in banking um, and returned the uh, following summer for a full-time role where I uh, spent the first two years out of college. And so about this part of my, my career, this was very interesting because um, at this point entering um, Entering you guys on Wall Street it was 2010, so right on the hills of the financial crisis. In exactly. um, the investment banking department, in uh, the group that advised financial institutions. So, um, as you see, as you saw, many of the big uh, institutions failing and uh, really coming up with charting out a new path for it, I knew that I would learn a lot um, in that time there. And I, I, I certainly did. Um, For me, um, I, I knew that the investment banking part was pretty interesting, but I also wanted to be on the side of the clients who were coming in to get the advice from us. So rather than being the person giving the advice to other companies, I wanted to be the person running that company that hires investment bankers. And so at that point, my career changed to Being more so of a general manager, working inside of companies, really driving operations strategy, that type of thing. Um, And so after two years of investment banking, I moved to a company called McMaster Car, where I had the opportunity to manage a team of 20 people at the age of 24. And so this um, opportunity was was great to get um, early hands-on experience in terms of developing a strong team um, you know, how to encourage my top performers or at the same time motivate uh, low performers and at the same um, Also get the experience of, you know, being responsible for mapping out the strategy of Of, of my department is a lot of good experience at an early age So I was able to do that for a few years um, And from there I went to Groupon in Chicago and at Groupon um, the missing piece of my my experience as far is that I was never really um, very close to the the customer and I was able to work in a, a business development role where I was able to directly connect with clients um, to craft plat, to, to crowd um, uh, deals campaigns for group one merchants uh, to to run on that their platform um, so these were three different Three very different experiences that I had um, already had out of my my college my college days, and I was thinking at this point I've, I've gained a lot I've learned quite a bit but I still hadn't found what I was quite passionate doing, and so at that point I made the decision to apply to business school because I thought business school will help me you know. Um, contextualize everything I had done before and hopefully I will be able to discover uh, an area that I will be really passionate doing and it will really um, get me set up for the rest you know ch- the, the next um, part of my career and lo and behold I, I, I stayed in Chicago I had the opportunity to tenure University of Chicago Booth School of Business um, which I think for me, really, you know, exceeded my expectations and my my time there. I can I can spend more time talking about that if you if you like. Um, but really, um, at Booth, I landed an opportunity to work at J.P. Morgan Chase. So it's funny. I, I I walked in saying like, I I'm going to go find what I really want to do, what I'm really passionate. And it's funny. I'm in the back up back at a bank right. where I started my career, but. You know, the way I think about it is when I was first out of college is when I first gained exposure, of how banks work, how they operate. And this time around, it's really to sustain a path forward. And so um, at JPMorgan Chase, I am a vice president and digital product manager, where I help bring um, products to life for customers. Uh, so these these products are ones that you see in the Chase app as well as chase.com.
1: Nice. So what's your current title
2: right now, position? Vice President and Digital Product Manager.
1: Exactly. And, and it's funny that you, you mentioned that because uh me and you were actually talking privately about the journey, right? And we were talking about, you know, going to school and, and you being at Chicago booth. And um we brought up the uh, point of networking. How important has networking and mentorship and the different uh people that you've met along your journey, you know, no matter no matter where you were working, how, how important was it has that been to success?
2: I think it's been super important. You know, I remember back to when I was in high school, um, I I took an amazing course called Leadership. It was taught by a former consultant who had sold her firm for mind figures. And she decided to go into teaching because that's where she actually got her degree in, but she never was a teacher. She always worked in business. And in this course, she brought in several leaders um, to, to speak to the class, and it was um, phenomenal. I, I still remember some of the feedback, some of the advice that uh, some of these leaders uh, provided. So one in particular was a gentleman named Peter Bainu. Um He was um, the first African-American to be a minority owner of an NBA team, the Denver Nuggets. And one of the pieces of advice he gave, he gave the class was to never let the fear of failure paralyze me. I think that in so many um, you know, parts of the journey, it's easy to just be scared of like, not being able to um, achieve the goals that you really set out for because there are all these, these roadblocks, things that seem like roadblocks in your way. And sometimes you think about those roadblocks too much and you actually shut down from actually doing anything at all. And it's a proven thing inaction will get you nowhere. Um, so I think, you know, that, that's one example. Um, I think, um, as my, you know, career has progressed, I, have met so many people along the way. And I think, in this current, um, part of my journey, I've definitely been inspired by the leaders who really pushed for me to bring my entire self to work, uh, or to, to where I am. And I think that is important because, you know, you, we are, we're all unique individuals out here. And sometimes you think that you have to form into um, whatever the mold is at, wh- where, at where you work. Um, but really, I think the true value, what you really bring to the table in life or, or your job is really bringing your, your whole personality, your whole self to work. And so I can talk more about that too. But I think those are two examples of like how um, mentors have helped um, shape my, my journey.
0: You know, it's crazy. Um, You know, I was talking to Paul probably a few days ago about this book we're reading, or, or I think I think we're both reading it right now. The Fifty Cent uh, memoir right now, and it's really funny. It's it's funny, you know. We're reading this book about this rapper, and here we are speaking to a VP, a young VP of, uh, you know, in, in finance. And both of you, you know, he he started out his book right now because I'm in the first chapter. He started off his book saying the first thing he had to get over was fear. You know, on the other side of fear is freedom. Here you are starting off this interview talking about fear, you know, conquer that fear. Don't shut down and things like that. Um, What are, I guess, one or two roadblocks that you've had to overcome on your path so far?
2: Yeah. Um so I would say like early on like being that history major going into finance um trying to apply to get into investment banking that was that was a big roadblock because yeah. um honestly at that point you know I hadn't even taken calculus yet and I was um you know much much less you know microecon in and in, in my head I was thinking like okay I'm going to be competing against all these other folks who have that economics concentration in college. They are studying this stuff day in, day out. Like, you know, how am I really going to stand out and distinguish myself to, to get into um, the interview and much less get the job? Exactly. And ultimately, you know, I, I had to chart a path. I, I got involved with the Black Wharton Undergraduate Association. I was, I was a history major not in Wharton, but I finessed my way into uh, getting them to name me co-chair of their annual all conference. Right. And in that role, I was able to network with the recruiters from all the top banks. I was able to get in front of them and all, actually get them to see who I was. Um, and so that's so important, um, so that to make that connection, so that when they're reviewing the resumes, they know, oh, that's Daniel. I remember meeting him at the career fair. I think that helped me. The other thing I did to prepare myself was I reached out to senior, um, like juniors and seniors, basically upperclassmen who had already gone through the process. I, you know, I sat down with them for them to, you know, help you know, coach me on like, what are the things that I need to do to prepare myself um, so that when it's time for the interview, I am, I'm ready to perform. And I was so fortunate to have so many good, you know, you know, people help me uh, for that particular part of the journey. And um, for the internship, I actually was um, fortunate to be part of an organization called SEO, Sponsors for Educational Opportunities, excuse me. And the way SEO worked was you apply to the organization. If you get an offer from SEO, you are then matched with one of their banks. And so one of the banks that, 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 that sponsor them. And so through this entire recruitment process, I ultimately ended up joining the President's Summer Internship Program at UBS. And at the end of the day, I ended up working for the president of UBS at the time, Robert Wolf, who when I when I met him, by the time I met him, he was like, your resume stood out, like your, your, your strong name and your credentials. And it, it all it all worked out. And <laughs> um, so that that is one uh, example of how I, I got through a major roadblock and it, it set me up here.
1: And hey, that um, showed up.
2: I was gonna say that shows
1: initiative too. You had to finesse yourself onto the team.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, you know, building on you reaching out to those upperclassmen, um, how important were mentors on your journey, and who were some
2: of those mentors? Yeah. So um, I would say um, one of the mentors that that stands out is. Um, the uh, pretty senior executive inside of, of J.P. Morgan, who oversees um, digital payments, and he, his name is Prashant Gandhi, um, he is an alum of Chicago Booth, and for me, he, um, I think really, in a way, took me under his wings uh, when I was an intern, as an MBA intern, this is just like three years ago. Um, to really give you know guidance as I put together this pretty this pretty large project, um, it gave me exposure to his entire senior leadership team, and I think it you know really um, the the way he invested in my uh, my summer, I I think some of the time sometimes what you really need is just to feel that you're getting invested in by by someone else, and so. Um, I think that I, I really value uh, the, the mentorship there. And then I think he's the type of person that I go to when I am considering a new role. And he helps me think about what are the, th- the things I should consider? And what are the things that people should be doing at, at various levels? So what does a strong vice president look like? Um, so those are the questions I was asking, like, you know, a year or two years before I was even up for, for vice president. And so that that he's definitely someone that, you know, I, I continue uh, to um, keep in touch with as I go through my journey. Um, I also keep, um, I also have mentors who may not have fancy titles. Um, so, so many administrative assistants at, at Chase have really taken me under their wings and they really have taught me, you know, they clearly they, the good thing about the administration is they see everyone at the organization, and they they see how trajectories differ, like the people who who do well and the ones who are not as good, and they they give that insight and that support, and I, I feel like it is super important for me as well. So I'm definitely the type of person. I'm I'm interacting with everyone. I feel that I can learn um, from everyone in the in the workplace, and so. I, I think there's just really a whole range of, of mentors that I think Fortune to from.
1: And hey, to that, to that point, it's funny because in that book, right. <laughs> it says that if you want to know something about a, a company, right. You talk to the janitor, the janitor, because the janitor knows everybody. He knows who comes, yep. who goes. He knows who stays late to late at work, working, you know, Who's having an issue, or whose stomach hurts, or just knows everything, right? You talk to the janitor. So it's funny that you said that. I, I think that uh, I think that a a lot of higher level um, associates and VPs and C-suite guys, right? They they forget that. They forget that. Man, you know what? This company. If you want to know something about the company, you have to talk to the people, right? And it's interesting that you say that. You talk to the administrative assistants. I mean, what do they do? They they help out some of the most powerful people in the company. They they, 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 they you know. They uh, mark up the calendar. They they make reservations. They they know what's happening. So yeah, that's that's interesting. Super important.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I see I see next on this list um, current events. I kind of wanted I don't I don't know how much you can actually you know speak on it, but um, you know just the other day on Twitter somebody was speaking about Wells Fargo and how their CEO had actually commented on their diversity issues they're having. And he said, you know, this might seem like a cop-out, but, you know, our diversity issues stem from a limited pool of Black talent. Sheesh. Um, Now, (laughs) obviously, you working in finance as well at J.P. Morgan um, have – and just, you know, for other companies in the finance sector that you have worked at, have you noticed any, I guess – issues when it comes to diversity or how have you been able to combat that at JP Morgan through your rule?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, I think that's that, yeah, it's great for you to, to, to bring this up. I actually read, read the same article, so I am familiar. Um, but the way I view it is that are the numbers low in terms of African-Americans specifically inside of large firms? Yes, that's true. Um, but, I think it's a very nuanced topic. So for starters, I think many banks um, have you know, programs where they are focused on bringing in African Americans at the junior level, so the analysts, associate levels. And I think many banks, from what I understand, have more difficulties with retention. So seeing uh, I guess, retention and also, um, prom- I guess, promotion, um, promoting African-American talent. So it's what you see is you may see the numbers of African-Americans may be very, it may be at, you know, what you would expect at the junior levels, but once you're getting up senior, it, it's it's more and more difficult to to see those um, individuals and the, the, the numbers. And I don't, I don't agree that it's um, a talent issue. I feel that oftentimes it's just the lack of opportunity given. Uh, so, if you know people are never put in a seat where they're able to, one day move into the C-suite, then of course that's that's going to be an issue. And so, I I think that is something that many banks are trying to grapple with. And um, you know, I try to do my best to. Um, you know, bring my whole self to work as I was mentioning earlier, and um, you know, do do what I can to advocate for um, you know strong talent and to to really look out for um, you know my my peers um, and my, my my colleagues who are in a similar situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's funny, man, because I I, I actually uh, I had this conversation with somebody at work on a higher level. And um, what we talked about was was how you know you go to these interviews for different positions, right, inside and outside of the company. And the first thing they usually ask is ask you for is what experience, right? Do you have experience at, at management? Do you have experience at this? Do you have experience at that? Um, mm-hmm. The problem with that is is that if you never get the opportunity to get the experience, <laughs> how do you when get does the experience? experience? Come yeah, from? yeah, yeah, exactly. Where does the experience come from? So, so, so we hit right. this brick. So we hit this brick wall, right? So so that limits your talent pool right there.
2: Or, you know, it's it's a situation where, oh, well, this candidate is good, but, you know, they don't have these one or two things that, you know, cancel. out. So it's this idea of looking for the unicorn who's like, who right, is American, but also has all these other boxes covered. Whereas that same line isn't given to non-black employees a lot of times it's you know oh it's a, it's one of those situations where if you know they have a good record they they show they're strong but there may be a few open spots oh we'll work with him we'll, we'll figure it out and so it's like step one acknowledge that hey this is a thing this is a problem we can't keep doing this because if we keep having this approach then we'll never have diverse candidates and or diverse um, executives and senior leadership Um, so that's like something to be conscious of and so um i think it's it's, it's one of those things where you know it comes from the most senior levels to advocate um for um to advocate for managers to be thoughtful about the teams they are bringing together Um, because if not for anything else it's about especially at you know a large bank where you're you're covering millions of households you want to have a staff that reflects the communities that you serve
1: absolutely and
2: the communities you serve are not one gender or one race they are many different people and until you are getting a team a staff that represents everyone there's always there's always something better that you can do there's always more that you can give and there is something you you really—it's an opportunity that you really miss out on, and so I think companies are starting to pick up on this because there are real economic impacts when absolutely when you when you have this diverse team that's creating this product that really speaks to everyone. Mm-hmm. It, it you know this is better for shareholders. There you know there is actual economic returns, and so it's that's not the only reason you should do it, but that's that's one compelling reason for sure. Yeah, that that's business.
1: I mean, the, the, the decision make, the decision makers have to reflect the, you know, the customer base. I mean, <laughs> you can't make decisions based on a customer base that you know nothing about, <laughs> you know. So,
0: and you know, speaking of shareholders, I was telling Paul, this really isn't good news for Wells Fargo. I mean, they just kind of clawed their way out of a, a scandal. I mean, the subprime loans. Um, you know, they've they've been through the ringer the past couple of years, so to kind of walk headfirst into this and have that quote come straight from the CEO. I mean, that's, that's not something, that's not something that, that's really um, working well for them, especially when you speak about shareholders. It's, it's something, it's another PR disaster for
1: them to kind of work their way around now. I was about to say, they need to diversify their PR team, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> in
2: there,
1: hey. Tell them about to put that out Figure there. Figure it out. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's, at, it's at that level, um, Every word you say, every word that comes out your mouth, especially if it's public, Absolutely. people are watching. You know, and it, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you don't really have the opportunity to like, you know, change what you said too quickly. Um, as soon as you say it, it's out. It's it's it's, in, it's it's hit the news, and I think you know that that's part of it too. So it's just responsibility you have at that level, it just, you know, points out like, this is something that, you know, senior leaders must take very seriously and be thoughtful about, you
1: know. yeah. As far as the economy is concerned, because uh, you, you working for the bank, have you noticed an, an uptick in, in, in uh, influx of business coming in and activity or, or from your standpoint, from what you guys have going on? What, what do you think? What do you think the outlook is?
2: Um, so I, yeah, I'm just not in a position to comment on that. Um, I am, okay. and especially in my role, I'm not really um, customer facing. I'm a, I'm kind of like inside making the products. And so it's a little bit um, away. So I'm not the best one to comment on that. Okay. How
0: is your day-to-day kind of um, structured being, um, I guess, focused
2: on being a, a digital project, product manager? Yeah, it's kind of like... Um, conducting an orchestra, honestly, like, um, I am sitting at the center of many different teams that bring ideas from, um, literally just an idea to like an actual product that customers can look and, you know, interact with inside the app. And so what that, that looks like, um, you know, we, we do, we, from the early part of the stage, I work with, um, Researchers who bring in actual customers to understand what are the unmet needs they currently have with the Chase app. Um, I work with um, designers. Once we understand what those 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 needs might be, I work with designers to you know figure out you know what is an actual product that we want to bring to life and how should it look. And so that, that's that's part of the process. From there, once we have Um, We have like a sketch of what the product should look like. Um, We've done the the, the vetting to to figure out, you know, is there a business case for this? Like, do we think that this is something that customers will actually, you know, um, buy into? Um, From there, I work with developers who actually build the code and, you know, bring it to life. Along the way from there is we have marketing, so we have to go out and market to our customers and let them know that this product is you know now um, available for them to use and why they should use it. Um, I work with attorneys. Um, Everything that um, we we do must be vetted by our attorneys to make sure that we're we're covering all our bases there. Um, So. There, there are no two days that, that look similar to each other, uh, but I think that's what makes it exciting. Because um, it's also just looking ahead, like what are the, the cool new features that I can incorporate into my products and you know, how will it impact them? Because it's one of those things I can talk to my friends, I can talk to my mom, um, just different people who, everyday folks who use the Chase app. You know, I know that it will impact them. It hopefully will make their lives easier. And so one of the, the cheesy things that, you know, sayings um, at the company is we, we strive to do make the, help everyday people make the most of their money so that they make the most of their lives. And I think that's ultimately like the role of product manager creating these, these, these products inside the app. I, I think that it, it hopefully will do, have a positive impact. And um, I
0: guess, just just to build on that, have you seen any, I guess, changes or has the pandemic altered your division in any way?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think like for many companies like, uh, and, you know, my company included is like, we have to like, go back and figure out what's the right way we should organize ourselves. And um, how do we need to, you know, change? Our, our our strategy just based on the um the current environment and you was know, something that's ongoing it's, it's it's always in flight um so unfortunately i can't talk too much about what that exact strategy is but yeah. 100%, like it, it is something that is top of mind uh for the company and um that we're just you know trying to navigate just like many other companies
1: How's working remote Are you working remotely now? Or are you still in the office, if you don't mind me asking?
2: Yes, I'm working remote. Um, I've been working from home now since March. And um, all in all, I think it's been going well. Um, I think, you know, with Zoom, it's uh, been easy to stay connected mm-hmm. uh, with my team. Um, and in some, in some ways, I feel like I'm more connected. <laughs> 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 uh, but. It, it's, it's been it's been going well you know it, it takes time to get comfortable at home but now I, I'm really in the groove that I really like it
0: how's uh well I guess out, outside of work how's uh the climate in New York right now just with obviously the pandemic but you know social unrest obviously um we all have that connection to Chicago but um I know some people who live in New York and for a while, you know, it was up and down. Some days were okay, some days there was protests, some days it was um I guess daily fireworks going off that they don't know where it's coming from. Is is everything safe out there or or how's how's uh, New York right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, as you're asking your question, I was just reflecting back on this year. Like how crazy has this year been? But you know also it's it it's kind of it's just like so many different, um, you know, I, I was thinking about back to, like, early March, those last couple of weeks on the, the packed subway cars, um, you know, Mike. Oh, yeah, you
0: probably haven't even been on the subway in a minute.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I was off for a long time. I'm, I'm back on. I, I wear my mask and I feel, I feel OK getting on the subway. But, you know, it's first it was the sudden just shutdown uh, where stay at home and this this busy, vibrant city just like, is like, no one has come to a pause. Like no one's out in the street, Times Square, completely empty in the middle of a Saturday. And, you know, people were just, you know, in the house besides going to the grocery store for the most part until April, May, you know, weather starts breaking a little bit. They start allowing some restaurants to offer, you know, meals to go, that type of thing. So that was like, okay, we get a little social. Um, And then George Floyd happened. Uh, You know, the the killing of George Floyd. Um, I think it was such a provocative moment in New York history like, or just, I think it was just like such a moment in history when we had um, just, People of all colors, backgrounds really come together in this future, peaceful protests, like um, in my neighborhood and other neighborhoods that I would travel to. And it was to the point where like every day I was running into a protest, even without me planning to to go to one. It was just like, oh, on my uh, way to an appointment, I was, you know, greeted by a protest. And um, what I loved how it really did bring together a really diverse crowd. It was um, a lot of people I think had the time since we we couldn't do anything else. um, I think a lot of people had the time to really reflect and think about the situation, how unfair it was. And for many people, especially non-black people really understand, begin to understand or to even acknowledge and see the systematic oppression that happens and how um there it's it's structural um racism absolutely it's it's structural and really rooted in many different parts of society so i think that was a great time to be in new york because so many people had that realization and i just hope that momentum carries on um, and people are you know really interested and seeking real change
1: Hey uh, at Daniel, at Daniel I, I, we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, I just want to know um, if you were to sit down with a young young person, you know, of any any race, and and they were to ask you, you know, what made you successful, you know, what should they do, how should they go about uh, pursuing their dream to be successful? What would you tell them? What would it, what advice would you give a young you or a young me? Yeah,
2: you know, I have a I have a 14-year-old nephew and a seven-year-old nephew and the 14-year-old just entered high school and so I was just thinking about what are what is the the message that I want to pass on to him at at this juncture and I think back on my, my 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 upbringing my education and although I've always had like um, people on my side rooting for me to really um, invest um, in my education and really seek the best outcome. I I really believe that ultimately it was myself thinking, really making it an objective to really go out and get what I wanted. Like, every you know, people around you can tell you, like, you should do this or you should do that, but it's not until you yourself really buckle down and figure out and develop that attitude that you're just gonna get, you're just gonna go and get what you want, then that that makes all the difference in real. life. So I feel like in simplest in, in terms, like you really just have to be a go-getter. You have to define um, what it is that you want out of your life and you have to be strategic. You have to, be, you have to really think about how, break it down into little steps of what steps can you take today to set you up for that tomorrow you want. And so, you know, when I was a kid, I used to read the encyclopedia. Uh, I would read the biography of every US president. As a kid, I wanted to be president. And literally it was like, okay, what school did they go to? Like, what did they study? And honestly, that's what got me into the mode of like, oh, I need to go to an Ivy League school because that's where all these other US presidents went. And so from an early age, I started really just trying to figure out what do I need to do to set myself up for that next goal? And so I think um, to sum this all up, it'll be one, dream big, two, break it down, break that dream down into small actionable steps that can move you closer to your goals.
1: Hey, thank you, Daniel. We appreciate that. And thank you for coming on the card. That's right. Episode 15, Daniel Patton. Pleasure to have you. This is awesome. Thank you.